Hi, hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. Today, I am joined by Leandra Medine. That's me. And in today's episode, Leandra will be interviewing Stacy London. As in Stacy London. The one and the same. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about how that interview went? Uh, I don't know, Jay. Do you think I want to talk about how that interview went, or do I just want the interview to speak for itself? All right, here we go. Leandra Medine and Stacy London. Hope you guys enjoy it. You will trust me. This would be cool on these shoes, don't you think? I do. We were discussing your shoes before. I don't think it's terry, and it's not corduroy. It is some sort of other technical fabric. Maybe it's terry-roy. Entirely possible. You do love to create a word. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We do live in the portmanteau generation. (laughs) So cool that I'm sitting here with Stacey London. Do you remember when we met? I do remember we met. Yeah, was it two years ago? Maybe it was three years ago. It may have been longer it, even. It might have been longer, but I just remember that it was on uh, a street corner. It was a very fateful Sunday. It was. I was going through a strange transition. I wasn't sure if the audience, the fans, wanted to read my content anymore, and I was still so married to the written word, and you gave me some of the best advice I've ever received. I replay your saying it to me in my head like almost every day, which is let them rise to your level. Don't dumb yourself down. Yes. Because that's how you created a fan base in the first place. I think because of who you are is how you got a following. And then once you start letting that following dictate who you're going to be, you sort of lose your essence. You know, you make your best decisions for yourself. And I think you always did. So I would have hated to see you not do that. Are you just very good at doling advice or is this something you learn from experience? Um, A little bit of both. I'm great at doling advice. I'm just not very good at taking it. (laughs) You know, I'm one of those people. Uh, But I really enjoy the process of sort of you know, being able to kind of objectively look at somebody else's situation because I think it's a lot easier than applying Mm -hmm. the same tactics to yourself. You get too emotional when it comes to yourself. But when you look at somebody's work and you admire it, like I do with yours, then I think it's very easy to be able to be like, wait, hold hold up, you know, don't doubt yourself. That's the last thing you should do. Right. My Google alerts took me to a Tumblr page and you had said some very eloquent things about me. Unwarranted. Totally unwarranted. Mostly untrue. No, to- that's a load of bullshit. I'm sorry, am I allowed to say that? And yes, you are. Good. You can bullshit. fucking say whatever you bullshit. want. Um, I will tell you why. You know, it was very funny. So I did 10 years of a show called What Not to Wear on TLC. Just a little show. Just it's a like little that show. little school just outside of Boston. Exactly. <laughs> um, have you heard of it? Anyway, um, yeah. No, so I did that show. And I, I, I learned... I watched that on Saturday mornings. Did was, you? Yeah, with a bowl of cereal, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Cancer Cereal. Okay, that... Well, I actually am thrilled that it was Cinnamon Toast Crunch because I love that cereal. But, um, but, but the reason that, you know, part of that show really was for me about... It, it wasn't... It had nothing to do with fashion. It had everything to do with psychology. Mm-hmm. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't what you were wearing. It was why you were wearing it. And when I um, left the show, I kind of woke up and saw that the world around me had completely changed, and that even reality television wasn't 
how-to based anymore and that the internet had sort of taken over the interwebs had mm -hmm. sort of taken over that role um, and you know people start to ask me about bloggers and I was like bloggers what is what is blogging I don't even understand like this is not my generation and then I started to you know sort of look at what that world meant and I looked around and saw a lot of people who really had no kind of understanding or insight into fashion saying, I have a lot of money, look at my new shoes every day and having you know pictures taken of them. And when I found your blog, um, I was totally taken with it because it was so intelligent. And it was the first blog that I found that actually um, moved the needle in terms of what fashion is doing in the world. And it well, was, I could say the same thing about what not to wear. Well, I think, you know, thank you. I think that, but I do think reality TV was sort of a precursor in terms mm -hmm. of fashion to what happened um, in terms of blogging, which was um, we went from a how-to culture in reality television to a me-too culture yeah. in, in blogging. And the reason that I think you kind of created such an amazing following was that you finally took something that felt stuffy and um, inapproachable, unapproachable, um, and sort of uh, opaque and, and broke it open into something fun and joyful and, and that we're allowed to laugh at ourselves. And nobody in fashion we have to laugh at ourselves. But nobody in fashion was doing that. Not not in a way that well, was. Well, you were. Yeah. But you know, even I will be honest. I think I took myself too seriously in the meeting because I was worried since I'd never been on television and I didn't know what the hell I was doing that I was supposed to be an expert and that if I if I was like self-deprecating or you know too jokey that I wouldn't be taken seriously. It took me a good five or six years to kind of chill out. Well, you also started at Vogue, right? And yes. I feel like the culture back then was very much. Be serious or die. Get off the pot or die. Yeah, it really. Or you know, I will burn you <laughs> with my eyeballs. It was. It was a very serious culture. Yeah. But it's most. It's one of the most wonderful things that I think has happened in fashion, and I think that you were one of the pioneers of it. Was to be able to still take fashion seriously, still be so passionate about it, and yet have all kinds of fun with it, and be self-deprecating and like joyous and funny and ironic, and that was never possible before. Well, speaking of self-deprecation and joyousness and funniness, <laughs> yes, you were telling me about your guide to single girl dressing. Yes, which my I think humanity deserves <laughs> to know more about, which you can know about if you. By Stacy's book. Yes, I write the truth about style. That's right. I do write. Um, I wrote a chapter. Basically, um, the book is nine, actually ten case studies, nine women and me, mm -hmm. um, about the obstacles that hold us back from dressing in the best and most authentic way possible. And they're all different reasons. There's like fear of judgment, there is fear of failure, um, there's, you know, the idea, I did one young woman who was 19 who was suffering from eating disorders and having mm. trouble seeing herself correctly. Right. You know, couldn't, her brain wasn't catching up. I feel like that's kind of at the crux of it, is not really knowing, and fear totally perpetuates this, or maybe is informed by just not being honest with yourself, not knowing yourself. I completely agree. At yeah. the at the end of that book, what I really discovered is that self-awareness is the key to great style. And that if you try and do it the other way around, and you know, similar to saying, you know, don't don't let your your fans dictate your content, mm -hmm. um, it's sort of like allowing trends and an industry, which is fashion, to dictate who you are or who you think you need to be. Instead of understanding who you are and then picking and choosing trends based on your individual taste. Right. So the single girl's guide. Right. Sorry. I lost my train of thought there. So I did a chapter about a woman who was in her 40s and single. Mm -hmm. 
and I related to that. And I wrote this sort of guide to things to probably stay away from um, that are really difficult to dress in, like the Victorian blouse that you mentioned to me earlier. Anything that's got like 100 buttons up the back, you know, you are screwed if you're by yourself. Right. There are certain, if you're left-handed, there are certain things that you're gonna have trouble getting on, you know, your left hand. Right. Um, if you, have a very like that episode of Sex in the City when Samantha's trying to get that pearl bracelet on. Do you remember that? Um, okay, so I've never seen an episode of Sex in the City. No way! And you call yourself a woman? Well, here's my thing about that, okay? I went through this period where I was like, is this really women or is this gay men writing for women? And I got very fatits and fachatted about the idea that it was like, a caricature of what four women would be like instead of what Which is four kind women. Of what it was. Well, and, and that's no reason not to have seen it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know Pat Fields and I know the genius that went into that styling. And I know that um, legions of young girls moved here based on the idea that they could be a Carrie or whoever the other characters are. Samantha. Samantha. <laughs> You're looking at me like I'm absolutely crazy. Well, I, I, this is just so fascinating. So I even posted on my Instagram that I'd never seen an episode and I asked... How uh, many followers did you lose? I, I, no, I didn't lose any. I asked them which okay. three were the most important episodes for me to see. Okay, and did you watch those three? I haven't yet, okay. but I got a lot of different responses, so obviously it was a little bit complicated. Right. Well, so, uh, Sex and the City was an important show for me because I feel like those women became my friends. Yes. Even though they obviously had no idea who I was, and I, I often reference the television show when I'm talking about Man Repeller and the future of Man Repeller because what I'm trying to do with the site and on the internet is build that same sort of sense of community and treehouse and all girls club and Sex and the City was totally my escape from the banalities and like harsh realities of my life e.g. men breaking up with me and uh, my friends being assholes. Right. And did you feel like when you were watching Sex and the City that um, you could relate? Like they, like when you say that you felt like they were your friends, it's like, didn't they have guys break up with them? One broke up with one on a post-it or something? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I know a little bit about it. I was very young. I was still super young. So I, I think that there was also an aspirational quality there, right? right? Where I was like, wow, so this is what my life is going to be like. And I, it changed the narrative in that it became aspirational to be a single woman in New York, well, which is was revolutionary then. And is revolutionary now. Yeah. And I think um, that is one thing about Sex and the City that I do feel quite strongly about. Is And I've been talking about this a lot lately, um, <clears throat> which is part of what I want to write about in this next book that I'm working on. but. Mm -hmm is that I consider myself to be um, sort of the first generation born of, you know, the, the frontline feminists uh, who being in my 40s and being single and completely self-sufficient, um, it's kind of interesting that there are no traditional markers mm -hmm. by which um, my achievements are sort of recognized right. in the sense that just in terms of traditional values I'm the first generation of women where we are not beholden to any set of rules that women before me have been held to yeah. um, you know even my mom who was a frontline feminist I mean was married and then got divorced and burned her bra right. I don't have to get married I don't mm -hmm. have to have kids I don't have to have any of those things I don't need to rely on a man for emotional support or financial support and 
there's something very unsettling about that. It's kind of an amazing sense of freedom mm -hmm. and also this kind of fear that I missed out on something and sense of disappointment. And I think in the same way that you were talking about Sex in the City empowering you to feel like it's okay to be single or a mm -hmm. man repeller, I think that there is actually, that generation of women is now not just a television show. They're out there. They're, they're you know, sort of conquering the world. But there's still um, a little bit of stigma attached to that. Right, and to being single. Yeah, absolutely. Do you date frequently? Do you feel comfortable being single? Do you want to stay single? I, you know, that's a question I don't know. I, I mean, sometimes I think I used to date a lot. Mm -hmm. I date a lot less now. Although somebody that um, that I sort of date is a huge fan of yours. So, really? Yes. So if you could just say oh. hi, Patrick, he would be Patrick really excited. You're dating Patrick Star? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Um, <clears throat> anyway. I call him Patrick Bateman. I don't know how I feel about being single. I think that um, I think it's wonderful if you find the right person to share your life with. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether that has to be marriage or it's that every day you wake up and you decide you want to be with that person and it is sort of you know the renewal of that commitment every morning. Yeah, well, marriage does sort of seem like a dated institution. I often, when I was getting married, I was very uh, introspective about all this stuff and thinking about whether or not. Marriage makes, I, it made sense for me because both my husband and myself are from like pretty traditional Jewish Orthodox backgrounds and so it was more of a technicality that we had to get out of the way to live a life together. But um, the inst, oh, I mean, it's, I guess my, my perception has also changed because I've been married and my husband has been such an important part of my growth and right. if behind every great man is a great woman then behind every great woman is an even better man. Well, you know? I should hope so. Um, yes, and I, I mean I guess maybe there's this there's this sense that, Actually not behind every great woman woman. Well, you know, I it, I mean it's not it's not every in in, in any situation and mm -hmm. I think that um, yes, I think that part of the issue for me is that a lot of my career um, was dependent on having a, a partner who could tolerate a lot of, um, you know, things that... Like a fickle schedule. Yeah, yeah, like a very difficult schedule and, oh, can you hold my bag while I take a picture? Yes. And that that can be a little bit tricky. You know, it can be a little bit complicated. I always say that in a relationship with a woman who's in the public, or any relationship really, there's a micro uh, there is a microphone. No, a flashlight. Same motif, but there's a flashlight in every relationship, and some men shine it on their women, and some men hit them over the head with it. Ooh, and you God, have that's to find, great, and it's great true, metaphor. and you have to find a man who is gonna shine that flashlight on you. Yeah. I mean, I'll shine it on you. I'll be well, happy to oh shine God, it on so you. Oh my God, it's so nice. Thank you. But so I sat down with Linda Roden, who has an yeah. incredible. Uh, skincare line. Yes, yeah, so I know her. Yeah, she's wonderful and she's never been married and never wanted to get married and, yeah. I, and we had a really interesting conversation about her relationship status and I got thinking about women who are comfortable being single but are uncomfortable with the fact that they're defying such a salient convention. Well, I, I think I get uncomfortable with the fact that um, there's this sense that the perception of me is always sort of couched in that definition. Right. Um, you know, well, why is she single? Like, yeah. you know, what's wrong with her? As opposed to it either being a choice or not even a choice, just not making, um, not finding that there was, you know, the person that I wanted to stay with permanently or that I've been in long-term relationships my whole life. It's just that they all had a lifespan to them. They all had an expiration date. And I don't really see that as a reflection of my, um, 
desirability or mm -hmm. my uh, ability in life or my capabilities. Um, but I do think that there's still a perception in society. There's a book that just came out. Um, I'm spacing on the name of the author called Spinster. Mm -hmm. And it's brilliant because it's about her life choice to be single. But she chose a word that is, you know, really got a sort of pejorative definition. Um, the spinster. Bachelor. Right, exactly. Bachelor's like, you know, a hipster with like a, a bar that, with you know, an electronic, uh, right, an electronic bar that, you know, comes up when and you push a button. And boobs on his wall. Exactly. And like, you know, Bond. Uh, James Bond, you know, but there's no Jane Bond. And maybe Linda Rodin is Jane Bond, but... Or but, maybe you're Jane Bond. Or maybe, yeah, maybe I'm Jane Bond in a culotte you in jumpsuit. In, yeah. And you are peeing like nobody Like nobody's else. business because I got it a size too big so I could just rip it off. Yeah. You are getting that dirt off your shoulder. I mean, if That Jay-Z is so Prescient. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, it's funny. I, I talk more and more about it and I talk more and more about, about it um, in terms of style. Mm -hmm. Because I think, um, I mean, when I walked in here, you know, you and I were joking before the cameras were on about like getting older and it's not, I, I, I actually love the idea of aging. I think it's as much a part of evolution as anything else. Mm -hmm. And I hate that our society specifically um, kind of prizes youth and wealth and, and being thin above anything else. And uh, what worries me about that is that, you know, we used to, there are so many civilizations in which aging is revered and that there's an elegance mm -hmm. to it that, um, what are your options, you know? I mean, it's this or you're in the ground. And yeah. uh, and I wish that more women were appreciative of what what being a woman of experience allows you to do. You know, it's, it's possible that I wouldn't have had the same advice if we had been contemporaries, if we were the same age when I met you. Right. You know, it, it, there definitely is something to the idea of having lived a life that I want to pay forward, you know, that I, that I like the idea of being able to um, talk to women who are younger than me and help them navigate, you know, tricky waters because I've done it, I've been there. And, and there's something about that that I feel like is lost um, in our society. Is it, that advice that you would give to your former self? Yes, I think it is. I do. I, you know, one of the things that I felt when I was younger was that aside from my mom and sort of the Gloria Steinem's, you know, that sort of generation, um, there weren't more um, tangible role models for me. Right. You know, how did I, how could I um, reconcile loving fashion and not being superficial? Right. Loving fashion and not being narcissistic. Loving fashion and not being materialistic. I think that's a problem that we still deal with. And part of what I'm hoping Man Repeller conveys is this, sensibility or sense that you can be really intelligent and interested in a ton of things and not have that minimize your interest in fashion. I, I completely agree. And I, I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of times people will see me and they're like, oh, you're that, you're that girl from reality television. You're that girl who breaks people down and then builds them back up or, or they still think I'm a bitch and all I do is like criticize people, whatever they think. But, you know, they don't know that I'm Phi Beta Kappa or that I went to Vassar or that I had a double major or that I studied, yeah. you know, 20th century philosophy and literature. And I wrote my thesis on Nietzsche and Heidegger. That's not like what you would normally assume a fashion person, right. what their background might be. Um, you might assume it of a Vogelum. A Vogelum, perhaps, perhaps. There's a sense that when I was, when I was growing up in fashion, you weren't supposed to make anything look like it took work. 
Everything was supposed to look like you were just naturally thin or you were naturally perfect or whatever the hell it was that you never had to show that you were, you know, paddling like yeah. a duck underneath the water. You just had to look like, you know, perfectly quaffed. Um, and what I love about sort of fashion and health and wellness now is that there's this uh, transparency that people really demand. Mm -hmm. um, so you you have to talk about how hard it is to take care of yourself. You do need to talk about exercise and diet, and and that plays into the way you feel about yourself and the way you look and the way you dress. And you know, there's to me that's actually a very healthy way to approach it as opposed to. You know, oh no, I eat whatever I want. When if, you know you're eating a potato a day, which was what Jackie O did. Right, that's all she ate. Yeah, one potato each day. Yeah, every single day. Yeah, that's what I heard. And apparently, I mean, does that sound like fun to you? I just no, I mean, it sounds horrific. It just just does not. It doesn't feel like a, a life like fully lived if you can't enjoy food. I know. I think about that all the time. But that's also sort of the problem with our culture, right? Is we've been bred to live to eat as opposed to eat to live. I'm trying not to let food be the centerpiece of my life anymore because I, in turn, end up thinking too much about it and I don't like that either. And to me, that seems like another form of disordered eating. Right, and I mean, I, you've talked about this in your book, that, mm -hmm. that year that you went to camp, you gained all that weight. Yeah, and so much fun. Right, but then again, I would. <laughs> you know, but but also, I mean, that you felt like the ramifications of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from my brother, who was like, I'm not taking you out with me, you fatso. What's funny about eating and getting thin also, though, is that I never had any hang-ups about my weight when I was chubbier. Like, I didn't think about food, I didn't care, I looked into the mirror and what I was is what I was, and that was it. And then I got thin and I was like, oh shit, I have to maintain this. People keep right. telling me I look great. And that's when I feel like the relationship started to form, or like that um, unhealthy obsession, sort of like a terrible boyfriend. Yes, I actually think that's true. I mean. Um, I also w wrote about this in my book, but um, I have a history of eating disorders, um, and I was severely anorexic when I was like 20, and then um, I was a compulsive overeater. So w you know, I either starved myself or ate whatever I wanted, basically. Yeah. Um, and I went from 89 pounds to 180 pounds in a year. Wow. And I was 180 pounds when I worked at Vogue, if you can imagine huh. that. Yeah, talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> uh, that was a little How many weird. times have you had to say that? Yeah, no, I have actually never said that. But 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 I always talk about the fact that it was when grunge came in. So I was really lucky. Yeah. Like I could just wear like you know Mother of Earth skirts and right. flannel shirts, and it was like I was cool. Um, but you know, I felt it that I wasn't small enough to fit into any of the clothes, the samples, yeah. or anything like that. How did you overcome that stuff? Um, it took a long time. And one of the things that I wrote about a lot was that the smaller I got, the more visible I became. Mm -hmm. And the larger I got, the more invisible I was. And how society reinforces this idea of you you should stay thin because you look so good. Right. And that's a, it is like a terrible boyfriend, you know, but it's something that I, I think we reinforce culturally, even without meaning to. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, our relationship to food is just as complicated as our relationship to love. It's as complicated as our relationship to beauty. It's as complicated as our relationship to, um, I mean, all kinds of things. You know, we talk about, um, 
I mean, Freud even talks about the idea that like if we don't have a good sense of physical self, it's very hard to have good self-esteem. So it's not without merit that we worry about these things. I just think that they've become exaggerated right. to such a, a terrible extent. I mean, you know, we all still function with lizard brain. And if you look at somebody and you're like, oh, they're thin, that means they can run away from a saber-toothed tiger, right? That's like, they're a good potential mate. Now it's like, oh, it's almost like we, our culture has twisted it into, oh, she's thin and she's wearing designer clothes. That means she's cool and I should be right. friends with her. Huh. Different, different um, identifiers, but yeah. the same uh, lizard brain process. So how do we change that? Can we change that? You know, I don't know. I mean, I work I work with a bunch of um, charities like uh, Step Up and uh, um, I Am That Girl mm -hmm. that to me are very important about empowering girls to feel like who they are is just simply enough. Yeah. Just period. That's the end of the sentence. Which is true. It is true, but that takes a lot longer to permeate through a culture. And there are things that make it more complicated, Same having to do with lizard brain as well and the sociobiology of uh, the relationship between the sexes. You know, men uh, can sort of run around and have lots of different girlfriends, whereas women are all vying to kind of keep those men in order to mate and settle down and have children, right? right? Just in terms of biology, it's not... It's like butterfly versus gazelle. Exactly. And the thing about that is that our society now, this is going full circle, is that now being a single woman is so far ahead of where we are sociobiologically mm -hmm. that it kind of doesn't make sense. Yeah. So the way that women, and, and one of the reasons that What Not To Wear and Love Lester Run as a show become important is because women are emotionally invested in their appearance in a way that men just aren't. And I mean, I have said this before that, you know, I feel like a guy can be a troll, but if he has a G5, it's like, you know, he'll get like a super hot girl. But I think that, you know, that's what we've seen to be yeah, true. Yeah, there's definitely an element of process of, of elimination across both sexes. Yes. I think that Man Repeller is a... When I launched Man Repeller, I think that it was sort of an epiphany for me because I was still single at the time, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is giving me so much control. I'm single because I like fashion, and I'm not going to choose a man over fashion, and so I win. And then I got back together with my boyfriend, who's now my husband, and I was like... Or man repelling is a process of elimination because it allows the good ones to, to rise to, to the surface. Yeah. Absolutely. And also, I mean, I remember uh, the article that you wrote about about saying, you know, that you had gotten married because you got so much flack for it, yeah. which I thought was ridiculous. And there was this great, you used two different words that now I can't remember, but both were, were with a T. And, um, oh, why is this? Um, was it not Santa Claus? No. It was not Santa Claus. I got really defensive. I was like, you didn't stop asking for gifts on Christmas when your mom told you Santa's not real. Wow, yeah, okay, no. It was the difference between something and something. Like, um, the, you know, like sort of um, informing your audience and then sort of sharing with them. You know, I mean, right. the, basically there was the difference between like being personal, personal and not personable. And personable and not That's personal. what it was. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't a T, it was a That's P. A P. Yeah. Close enough. Personal and personable. Mm -hmm. Which I even um, retweeted because I said this is a very important distinction for mm -hmm. any public figure. And that that's not, you can't be judged. Thanks for the retweet. I probably got so many followers that day. <laughs> I'm sure you. I'm sure you had many more to begin with, but 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 I think that that's, that's super important just as anybody who um, is a real person 
talking, you know, as I, and, and you are, you're, you're talking as Leandra. Yeah. Like you have Man Repeller, which is a, a you and a philosophy, mm -hmm. but you speak to people as Leandra. And I think that it's, it's also that once you're in the public eye as the person that you are, you're always going to be perceived by people differently. They're going to feel like they got shortchanged by you or that you didn't give them enough or whatever. Right. They're going to be mad that you started Man Repeller and you have a man and how is that fair? You know, that seems ironic, whatever, whatever the hell they think it is. Mm -hmm. um, and that you shouldn't, you should not constantly have to explain your actions. You how just do shouldn't. you experience that? Um, I, you know, strangely, I guess I get it. I get it a little bit now for um, if I'm dressed in sneakers and sweatpants, um, people will be like, you can't wear that. You told so-and-so on episode seven in season nine that she couldn't wear that. And, um, and it was part of the reason that I actually was getting a little bit frustrated being on What Not To Wear because that wasn't Stacy. It was, it was part of Stacy, right. right? It was definitely a persona. It was the part of me that's good at being critical and uh, asking questions and sort of being investigative and then wanting to celebrate people. But that's not all of me. Mm -hmm. And I started dressing in a way on that show that felt very limiting after a while. I was wearing, you know, pencil skirts, floral pencil skirts and sheath dresses. And that was sort of my shtick. Yeah. And, and then I started to feel like, well, that's not me anymore. I want to wear leather pants and I want to wear like a leather jumpsuit. And, yeah. and I'm not allowed because mm -hmm. my audience won't accept that from me, at least not in this role. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's when I started to feel like I was veering away from the show in, and, being, and my personal life being something different. Did you feel like in a way you had to look innocuous on the show? I had to look um, what I felt to be a little bit more mainstream. Right. Based on the demographic of the channel. Yeah. Um, and even now on Love Lust, I'm really pushing that. You know, I'm pushing the demographic, and 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 strangely, it's a show that's skewing younger mm -hmm. because I'm doing younger women. Right. I'm trying to do a lot of alt alternative girls right. and kind of you know find this happy medium between being sort of um, alienating and approachable and still a free spirit yeah like I don't want to take that away from them anymore mm -hmm. I don't want to homogenize people so it's allowing me to actually dress differently on the show yeah. than I ever did on what not to wear do you feel like you have more power over what you wear oh I mean, I I made that um, sort clear. of a stipulation, yeah. yeah, that I wanted to wear leather jogging pants, and you know that's what I was going to do. I feel like what's so great about uh, this age that we're living in is that we're sort of in the Instagram era of discovery, and trends are, or the leading trend is personal style, which right. is so diverse, and that probably lends itself to allowing yourself to feel authentic on camera. I, I think that's part of it. And I think that also part of it is, um, well, for me, I think it's that I, I'm constantly stressing this idea of evolution mm -hmm. and that we just can't stay the same people that we were when we you know, started in the business or when we were 20 or whatever it is. Yeah, high school prom queen syndrome. Yeah, I mean, you just have to move on. Yeah. Move on, right? Like, I do really believe in evolution. And I believe that because um, your life changes, your life situation changes. Mm -hmm. There's a certain sense of appropriateness that changes. There's a certain sense of freedom that changes. And all of that stuff is important. And that's why being self-aware isn't something you do once and then you kind of, you know, put it in a drawer. You constantly have to reevaluate. Right. That's really good advice. I hope everyone's listening. 
Um, should we talk a little bit about your show now? Yeah, sure. Is, so you're filming right now. I am. I'm filming season two. Okay. Um, when does it air? It starts, uh, the premiere is June 12th. Wow, that's soon. Very soon. I'll still be shooting while the show is airing. How <clears> many <throat> episodes are you in right now? We are, well, God, I don't even know how many I've shot. We are shooting every day, two shows a day. So I am, I am literally completely confused as to where we are. Yeah. But the idea behind it is it's, it's you know, it's still a transformation so, show. Excuse me. Uh, it's transformative, right? Mm -hmm. I hate the word makeover. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of make under. I'm just sick of it. I, I mean, really, I'm just, I can't, I can't take any more of it. I'd much rather call it like evolution. Yeah. But the idea of it, the title, Love, Luster, Run, um, I'll be honest, it's not my favorite title in the world. You should have called it Darwin, period. Oh my God, it's so good. But that's like very heady. <laughs> yeah. The, that would have to be on like... All of that two would, people Right, would all of two people show. would have to watch that on Nat Geo. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that that would go over. Or on but, like a password mm. protected <laughs> exactly. channel. Um, but the, the title refers to the way somebody might react. The, the first thing that they would think if mm -hmm. they saw you on the street. And... You know, I am not one of those people who's like, oh God, well, public opinion means everything. Mm. What I'm more concerned with is that when people dress in a way that's very extreme, um, that A, they know why they're doing it and that they're self-aware and that the message that they want to convey to other people is actually the message that's being conveyed. Yeah. Is the difference between translation, transmission and translation. Right? So what you think you're putting out, what you think you're doing by wearing a long sweater because you hate your ass, actually makes people think, wow, she hates her ass because she's wearing that long sweater and she's right. trying to hide it, right? So that that applies very much, I think, to women who um, are, you know, doing all sorts of extreme styles, whether, you know, whatever that is, and then say that there's a disconnect in their life, like they're not getting what they want mm -hmm. and they're not getting the reaction that they want from people. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. And in a lot of ways, I've, I've worked with a lot of women who, um, you know, display signs of defensive dressing. It's like they were bullied, so they went so far in the opposite direction, so you can't hurt me. I'm mm -hmm. gonna hide behind this costume or this mask. And they don't really wanna be seen for we who they are. We did a story on Man Repeller uh, after the Grammys called Is Normcore a Byproduct of Memes? Ooh, ooh. Be so because- be God, You guys are so smart. Well, so basic, that was, that was Amelia's idea. Basic dressing- You're not gonna take credit for it? I don't remember. We wrote it together, but it was totally your idea. Because oh, so basic dressing, it's it's such an innocuous way to put yourself together. I mean, there's there's no concept behind it. It has literally killed the thrill and fancy of fashion week. Like mm -hmm. those flights of fancies just weren't existing anymore. And then you see someone like Rihanna or Lady Gaga getting dressed for the Grammys. And within minutes, they are like SpongeBob SquarePants characters and also inside frying pans. Right. And like. Oh, look at what happened with the Met Gala. A yeah. special yeah. at. Exactly. A special at Domino's. And so we were, you know, it, it's, it sort of plays into that same thing where that's totally a form of defensive dressing. It's right. like, oh, you can't stand my beautiful couture Jean-Baptiste Diwali dress. Instead of owning it, you go in the other direction and you put on your white Stan Smith sneakers and that's right. the end of it. You know, you become a black crow. Right, exactly. I think fashion has also kind of perpetuated, or the old guard has perpetuated this, um, this sense, or totally manifested this sense that in order to be taken seriously in fashion, you need to whisper in it as opposed to yell because bloggers are like these neon sheep and you right. know, they're always oh, talking see. about the heyday of the black crow and um, 
that's something that I, I feel like I fell victim to for a little and have recently started rejecting again because I was like, this isn't me. Why am I trying to sublimate who I am and what I want to wear and how I dress? And it's sort of like that frog, that bubble frog game where like I can hit myself down as many times, but it's going to pop up in other places. Yes. And also speaks to the same thing as like the best way to, I think, get your message across is to be your authentic self. Yeah. And and the authenticity about yourself can change. Unless you're like a neo-Nazi. Well, yeah, then I think just just retire. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you can just leave it at home. Yeah, just retire. Just Go retire. to Switzerland. Retire. Yeah, I don't know. Just take cover, really. But, um, but I do think that there's this sense of, like, you should never stop being who you are. That, I think, is true. But when I meet people who wear black contacts that like blot out their eyes and yeah. have neon green hair and have, you know, whether they're covered in tattoos or piercings or they're wearing, um, you know, skeletons as, you know, printed on clothes and they're wearing, you know, these huge, whatever, crazy ass shoes that they put like, you know, they, they, they stick mm -hmm. three heels together or whatever it is. Um, YOLO dressers. YOLO dressers. That's a great way to put it. Um, I want to know what they are, whether or not they're actually in control mm -hmm. of what they're doing. Because I think there's a point where it becomes out of a, a, a lot of different feelings that they are sublimating and mm -hmm. not looking at, as opposed to being completely self-aware. If you're completely self-aware and that's what you're dressing, I'm like, go go on with your bad self. But if you're dressing in a way because you're you're still hurt from being bullied or a bad breakup or whatever it is, that's reactive. That's not proactive. Yeah. And that, I think, really does have a huge effect on the way um, you're perceived in terms of your style. That's, that's good. That's real good. I actually would really love your opinion mm -hmm. on something. I wrote an essay called A Culture of Extraordinary mm -hmm. about being in my 40s and waking up and being like, I, what's blogging? I'm from television. And how print, then reality television, then blogging sort of blew open fashion. And now there's this sense of not only do you have to be all things to all people, you have to show that you are. Right. and how exhausting that can be. Because there's Instagram that's authentic, and then you have Instagram that's a filter, right? Yeah. You know, how are we choosing to um, talk about what I call um, curated transparency? So what are we sharing about our lives? How are we choosing what we share about our lives? How much of it is real, mm -hmm. but we're still making choices. I mean, right. you take a selfie and you're not wearing any makeup, but you probably take 10 selfies and decide which angle you totally. like best, yeah. right? Or I, I just wrote a story called is Instagram turning me into a sociopath. Oh. Because <laughs> I, well, so I've felt really alarmed by the fact that I can like, be on the phone with my mom hyster hysterically crying about how I feel like I'm a failure and the, the worst human to walk the planet and having like a very true panic attack and then get off the phone or like have a, see an alarm go off on my phone and be like oh shoot I have to Instagram today I haven't put anything up and therefore put up a photo with like a witty caption next to it while there are these tears still streaming down my face. There's a couple of things that I would like to say about that. Um, mm -hmm. One, the idea that you, that you personally, Leandra, mm -hmm. is um, uh, so frustrated with yourself that you think that you're a failure in any in any sense of the term is that's horrifying to me as like somebody who's watched you kind of blossom and, and do all of these amazing things like that that actually breaks my heart to think that you would be that upset with yourself and that you have an alarm on your phone reminding you that you have to Instagram something today 
because what? Because you, you're going to lose a follower? It's just because it's become such an important marketing tool for the website. It drives so much traffic to manrepeller.com. That's really the reason. But that you have to do it in that moment? I don't actually have an alarm on my phone. Okay. That was, <laughs> that was just a <laughs> dramatized example. Okay, I feel a lot better now. Yeah. I feel like I can leave you and be okay with it. <laughs> but I do, uh, I do have a problem with um, perfectionism, for sure. I don't give myself any credit, and I very frequently feel like I'm failing myself if I don't hit certain goals. Yeah. Well, look, I think that's what perfectionists do mm -hmm. and you know to some extent perfectionism is a helpful tool because it pushes you um, until it pushes you over the edge yeah. and uh, you know I grew up in New York as well you know I, I feel like that we have similar backgrounds to some extent and there is an expectation that is almost inhuman that you can put on yourself yeah. and at a certain point you know perfect is like the horizon you're just never going to get there you're never going to get there there's great there's wonderful right. there's brilliant and charming and you know there's a, a life to be lived that's happy and fulfilling and as close to perfect as you're going to get that isn't it's like this assumption that happiness is a destination and once you reach it it's just there right and then right. you're done yeah but it's the same way that i that's the way people feel about their style like i got there i got the right mm -hmm. I, I have the right uniform now i'm done or um i i, I you know i'm in the right relationship now I'm done oh I got the right job now I'm done life is long life is a shark if it stops moving it's over it's dead done <laughs>